it's just <laughs> nice to find that there's people all over the world who have interesting things to say and are fighting the good fight for the better human. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. We, we, um, we kind of fell into this and then developed a passion for working with kids and, um, you know, are just really grateful every day to be able to do it. And I think, uh, you know, now more than ever, it's apparent that, um, we've got to step in and, uh, kind of change the direction of where, where we're going with, with, um, with kids. Um, cause what we're, what we've done with really our culture has done is really narrow because of what's happening in culture, we're narrowing the opportunities for kids to be active for the rest of their life. Yeah. yeah. And really the, the, you know, like the, uh, the ultimate goal, like we, we tell our training centers, the goal of the Brandix method is to um, have kids come out of our programs that see activity and movement as part of their life. Like they see, like they think of breakfast. Like if you didn't have breakfast this morning, I didn't have breakfast this morning. I didn't move today. Something's wrong. I need, you know, that's part of what we need to be able to do. Yeah, and we've said in other conversations, activity needs to be like cleaning your teeth. Just something you do every day without a second thought. It's just that's what we do. It's exactly it's exactly that way. But also, probably even more importantly, is that feeling of your your teeth not being um, brushed. Like something's wrong. I didn't brush my teeth today. Oh yeah, I also didn't do anything any any movement. Hundred percent. And and you've been coaching. For 20 plus years, haven't you? Well, my first... Within this, but yes. Well, my first adult job, I was I was uh, 20 years old, and I um, was coaching a swim team and a water polo team. And then I kind of moved into martial arts and, and worked, worked within the martial arts for another um, quite a few years. And then we, we opened up Brand X in 1999. So, um, you know, it's been really 40, 40 plus years now. Of working with kids because both you and, and nikki your wife have done kem, um kempo karate haven't you both to a very high level to the to the point where you get to have the title of sifu yes so, it, so i was a I, fifth degree black belt in kempo I was brown belt krav maga um i my 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 um my martial arts journey started with uh, uh, somebody who was uh, a, a student of Danny Asanto, who was Bruce Lee's um, student. So actually, the, the title Brand X, when we opened up our gym, the title Brand X meant um, this idea of taking what worked and kind of putting it, putting it together and leaving, apart, leaving stuff that wasn't, um, wasn't useful for what you were doing outside of that and we kind of carry that forward into our journey in fitness as well and you also have and i think your the whole family or certainly some of your children when you look at the brand x website you will have a background in powerlifting as well oh, so yeah. there's a real confluence of different mm -hmm. themes coming in there so we we um you know our gym we work with kids and uh, at one point it was the kids that drove the teenagers that drove wanting to become powerlifters. And, um, you know, uh, both my wife and I set state powerlifting records. Our kids set state powerlifting records. And then we kind of kept going. And out of our gym came uh, over 100 state and national powerlifting records with our kids. 
we developed a program that was specifically take how to take a kid from a, a ranked beginner. I've never had a bar on my back. I've never picked something up off the ground. How to take them and move them to a to an elite um, or an accomplished lifter. So the uh, we had four different platforms and different rep schemes on the platforms. We were looking for different technical things from the kids to prove they could move to a, to to from one platform to the next. Um, our last uh, round we looked at it was 2018. We had 90,000 contact hours in our gym with with the lifting program and uh, zero injuries from the kids that required intervention. So, you know, certainly a kid pulls a hamstring or just something like that, but nothing that required a kid to go to a doctor or a physio to, to uh, Yeah, I mean, this. that's definitely something that I had in my mind to talk about in this conversation, which is the perception that kids shouldn't be lifting stuff kids shouldn't be able to be to, to, to be able to be strong and you know kind of have kids, kids kids shouldn't lift weights dot 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 badly yeah so um you know the american academy of pediatrics i know the british weightlifting um association i know the uh, the australian um, strength conditioning association all come out with position papers stating that kids as young as seven should be strength training if they're, or, or can be strength training um, if they are, uh, especially if they're involved in sport. And the, um, they have two caveats to that. And the first caveat is that the uh, coach should be trained um, about what is developmentally appropriate for the children and to understand the developmental process for children. And secondly, that the um, program that they're, um, having the kids do be specifically designed for kids. And that's really where I think um, what we see the failure of, of people working with youth right now, we see that what they do is they take an adult program and, you know, I'm going to have a 10 year old work on percentages. That just, it doesn't work. And, um, and they're not, and they don't understand the developmental process. So they don't understand peak height and weight, um, velocity and, and and those things that are really important for keeping a child safe while they're moving. Kids should be strong. Kids can can um, can lift weights, and the, the lifting those weights should be to a to a purpose. So you know, our, our, our purpose isn't I want to develop. And our purpose was never I want to develop elite powerlifters or, or state record powerlifters. Our 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 purpose was let's make our kids move really well. Let's make them really strong. And then they can step outside of our gym and, and do whatever they want. The, um, we are, we originally built our programs around running them in gyms, kind of moved to schools. Now we're into, into parents as we're working with parents at home as well. But the importance of this is that kids don't bring, or parents don't bring their kids to the gym to be good at gymming. That, that's not why a parent brings the kids to be good at they bring them there so that they can do stuff outside the gym be better at what they're doing outside the gym and that's got to be the goal of a youth trainer but is that not the goal of for myself and Paul we're not training for a a sport Um, we're training to be capable in life to be able to run after the children in the park because they've got boundless energy Mm -hmm. to be able to actually catch them sometimes which feels really good as a 40 plus year old to be able to catch catch your kids it does feel good um 
there has to be, unless you're training for a particular sport goal, and I know with kids, the I don't know what the youngest sort of sport would be with lifting and things, or the youngest that they'd be to be able to compete. I know sort of teens have competitions. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned seven-year-olds and 10-year-olds specifically. They're the exact ages of my two sons. Mm. Um, and last year, when we all locked down and the gyms closed and we had to find another way, they seen me working out at the back of the house and they're like, can we do this today? And I'm like, yeah, come on, do it. And they came out and did what they could, but it was based on the program that I had rather than any specific, going back to something that you just said, it needs to be programmed for their particular age rather than something that I was programmed uh, particularly. And one of the questions that I had is, how do people like me know what my child should be doing at a particular age? Where's the information? Uh, For me, apart from looking at the stuff that you're doing, it's not there. That's um, that's a huge question. It seems very specific, but it's a really big question. Um, First, you know, uh, you guys sent me a couple of emails. So I got on and I listened to your first podcast because I wanted to kind of hear your story. And your story um, mirrors... You know, kind of yours mine, but but the, the both of you kind of came to that same conclusion. Like I'm not really doing this for anything. I'm doing this for myself to be better at my life. And if we think about really what the original ideas of functional fitness were, um, that is the goal of what functional fitness was. Like you went to the gym and you did this so that you could do stuff outside of the gym. You didn't go to the gym so that you could be good at the gym and then go to compete in a contest that that allowed you to be good to or tested you on what you did at the gym. That's cool if people do want to do that. We support that. That's fine. But but the goal was always to expand the boundaries of what we could do. And, to, and so, um, and that's very unusual. And I promise I'm going to get to your question. But all good. All good. The, um, you know, the adult model of going to the gym is, uh, like I say, it's the rehab model. Like the doctor said, I'm overweight, I need to go to the gym. The doctor said, my blood pressure is high, I need to be on a cardio bike. Um, we want to develop kids who don't, that's not why they go to the gym. They go to the gym, I'm going to be, I decided I want to try rock climbing. I'm going to go to the gym to specifically work on those things. So that it, And they see it as a tool, the gym is a tool to accomplish things outside of the, the gym that they want to do. Um, that brings us back to kind of your question, what should we be doing with kids? And it depends upon their age groups. So we, we work with this idea of what we call the biopsychosocial models. So biologically, what can the child express? Psychologically, uh, what can they understand socially? What do they need? And we divide groups up into um, three years old to eight-year-olds, eight to, eight to 12, and 12 to 18. And they're all kind of going through the same things during those, during those blocks. And really in those younger blocks, what we want is to encourage a, a, um, a, uh, an environment of exploration and experimentation. 
and that leads them to um, to providing them, you know, how how do how do we develop what they should be doing outside of the gym and outside of teaching kids you know, how to move well. We we could say to um, to parents provide them movement problems. Have don't guide them so much on what the solution should be. Give them an idea of, you know, I want you to do this, try this, and they will experiment and find out what their bodies can do and find success. And as they find success, they become more confident and then they become competent and motivated to do more things. That's, that's the pathway for physical literacy. So, you know, an idea would be build an obstacle course. Go through the obstacle course. Find the obstacle you know, get through. I don't care how you get through. I don't care how you get over this. I don't care how you get under this. Find out how you can do it the fastest and kind of give them a couple of parameters. Um, one of the things I did with the older kids would be things like I take a light medicine ball. And the workout was throw the medicine ball, sprint to the medicine ball, do five burpees, then throw the medicine ball again. So what I was requiring their, the kids to do was figure out how they could throw the medicine ball the farthest. Because if they threw the medicine ball the farthest, they had to do less burpees. I didn't come in and tell them, hey, you know what? If you, you know, do a granny throw and throw and extend and throw it over your head, you're going to throw it farther. I let them practice, play, find out what worked for them, keep the keep it short so that they're not like you know, we're not doing 20 minutes of this, we're doing five minutes of it. Um, and allow them to experiment and find how their bodies move, um, find success. And then as they find success, they'll want to do more, more things and and you can kind of um, build on that. That that role of play is so important, isn't it? Especially with kids. Play is foundational. Mm. And people misunderstand the word play um, as we use it, and probably as, you, as you're using it. Um, they'll say, well, my kid plays sport. Well, that's not really what we consider play. Play has all these parameters. It's... it's, it's um, doesn't have a whole lot of rules. It has, um, it is uh, timeless. There's a sense of timelessness to it. Um, it, 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 what, it de- what it develops there is that idea of experimentation and, and um, exploration. But also, when you go to the other route, when you start to put rules on it, when parents you know, and when adults get involved and coaches get involved, all of that starts to narrow down. Now, when playing a game, there's rules, there's expectations, there's things that, that are required which aren't in free play. For the younger set, my wife does a lot of um, workouts where she will say, okay, we're going to do, let's say something like um, one minute of burpees, and then you get two minutes to um, take these Legos and build it, build it the biggest castle you can. Yeah. And we're going to go for, you know, we're going to go three to five rounds of that or something like that. Um, so there's a requirement to do some work, and there's, there's a very little requirement about the play. But we want that play in there because it, it's, um, there's so many beneficial things that happen out of the play, um, cognitively as well as um, physically when you have play involved in actual movement. Do, do you find that it's one of them where I, I do know the answer to already? Yeah. People just don't do this with the kids outside of the specific environments of I'd like my child to train for this thing 
or I'd like them to go to this gym to, because that's what I did. I'd like them to do this thing that I did just on a day-to-day basis away from any of those, you know, specific goals. People just, just don't do that with the kids. Well, and that's the culture that, we, that we we're talking about, what we've seen. Um, I remember this was probably five years ago, but I saw a sign up outside of our, we're driving home, I saw a sign. And it was a little small sign that said, um, uh, sign your kid up now for peewee football, um, ages three to five. Well, no three-year-old needs to put on football gear and go out and play <laughs> Like football they don't they don't they don't have any understanding of, of team sports or any of that and, and so I, I posted something that, and it was innocuous it was like you're you know I posted the picture and I said your child would be better off just taking a ball and one of his friends to a park throwing the ball out and saying kick the ball around try to get the ball past me try to do this or you know and, and just letting him play with the ball with his with his friend or with just you and the, the amount of hate I got was amazing it, you know, just a misunderstanding of the, of the intent there. Um, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take long. It takes a half an hour. It takes 15 minutes. Yeah. It, it, developmentally, your child will, will get more out of that than playing an organized sport. Um, there's a lot to be said on that. You know, what we've done is put these kids into organized sports. In the U.S., I don't know what it's like in the U.K., but earlier and earlier, they're being in organized sports. They're being funneled into a single sport. Mm. So it's called early professionalization. And what we're seeing, you know, on two on two sides, one is the kids who are in this early professionalization and the other kids are sitting on the couch and not doing anything. Is what we're seeing is because they're not playing organically playing or 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 outside doing the things that we're talking about, we're seeing kids losing what we call what we call um, common human movement. They're, they're just, we call it movement gaps. So we have a child who comes in and we say, okay, we're going we're gonna, to, I want you to broad jump. And just, I want you to stand with your feet together and I want you to jump with both feet and land with both feet. And they won't. They will jump off their, off their strong leg, dominant leg, and they'll, they'll kind of hop. So no, both. And they can't do it. And that didn't occur in 2010 and incurred like 75% of the kids coming into the gym in 2016, 2017. And when you start to see this loss of human movement and the common human movement and these movement gaps, what you start to see is not only can't kids, uh, not only can't we reach the goal we want with kids just to help them be active because they're, they're, they just, they're, they're, they've limited their ability to, to, to um, by not having this common human movement, they've limited their, what they can do but in sport, we have kids who can't reach their genetic potential, and we have an increasing level of injury because they're, they're responding to a spontaneous stimulus on the field, like someone moving sideways, and they can't do that quickly or change direction quickly and safely because they've lost that human movement. Yeah, it's interesting. You said you've seen that. I think so in the UK with, with soccer, as you would call it, or football, um, there's been a long time that kids have been funneled into sort of youth programs and gone through. Rugby union has is a relatively young 
professional sport. And what we're seeing now is if you went back 20 years, you'd have the person that has done all the sports at school and then has kind of gone, okay, well, I'll do rugby. Or you'll see the late people that haven't played rugby until 19 and then still make a real success of their sporting career. And now you have kids that are focused on rugby from seven and haven't played anything else. And it's all they know. And they go through the academy program and they are, um, they're all the same. You know, they are like clones. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but you get what I mean. They are this, this perfect player that comes out. They've lost their personality, uh, and certainly when it's an amateur sport, you'd have people from all different walks of life and it would all be a very rich intersection of different different sporting backgrounds and life experience backgrounds was now it's almost a very sterile environment. And you don't have that broad experience. It becomes very homogenous. Yeah, very homogenous. And, and, and their movement is homogenous. And most high-level coaches will tell you they don't want that athlete. That's not the athlete they're looking for. They're looking for the athlete that played three or four sports when they were young and had a broad movement experience. Um, and really that is part of our place in the strength and conditioning world or in the sporting world. Because if you think of the, um, of the sport, if you think of a pyramid and sport is the pinnacle of that period, pinnacle of that um, pyramid, underneath that would be sport training. But underneath that would be strength conditioning movement training, which is where, where we, we lie. So if I take a, so I take that rugby player, they talk about that, you know, I take two of those homogenous rugby players and I take one and I teach him to move well and I teach him, you know, and I double his back squat, I double his deadlift, who's going to be the better player? I mean, the, the other player can actually have more skill. My player will not come around the field. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. And I'm, I'm, Cool. We, we support all sports by doing what we, what we do. I think it's fascinating about the injury prevention yeah. that you guys do. As an 18-year-old, I was playing rugby and that was where I wanted to go. And I got hit by two guys. One took my leg one way, one took the leg the other way, and I ruptured my ACL. And um, that was it. It was my potential had gone. And I hadn't done lots of weight training or anything at that age. I'd played lots of different sports, but it, I find it fascinating that you guys really focus on that and actually you know, wear it proudly that you have kids that don't get injured. The growing injuries that we're seeing are overuse injuries, movement and movement injuries, and then um, the biggest one we see in the U.S. is non-contact ACL injuries. So we see some a young lady running on the, on the football pitch and she's running and she changes direction and her knee just goes out. That's, that shouldn't happen. And yet that no. happened. It happened so often that you, um, I think it was Subaru came out with a commercial and it showed a young girl in a soccer uniform and her dad was looking at her and she's on crutches with her knee in a, in a, in a brace. It, it, it's become so common that, that it's something that I identified um, in our culture, that that, that a somebody would use it in a commercial. Mm. Um, so, what's happened is you know they're they're having that sterilized experience in sport. They they um, are uh, not strong enough 
for the rigors of the sport of the sport and they don't move they don't move well so if they're not if, if we can teach them to move well we can, we can make them stronger we can help protect them in the um, in, in that in the sport and you know, you know you can't stop every sport or every every injury your injury sounds like you're running around you're you're a, you're a rugby player you have cleats on your foot somebody hits you from the side and your foot sticks in the ground you know there's not a you know, an injury can happen and you can't prevent that one. But what shouldn't happen is you're running down, down the field and you change direction and your knee just caves yeah. and falls. Or you jump, you're a volleyball player and you jump and you land and your knee just gives out. 30 years ago, that was unheard of. Now, it's common. Do, do you think that there's a couple of reasons for that? Do you, but do you think that's because children are competitive at a much younger age and therefore are doing much more of the sport and are having higher demands. And, it, and it's especially difficult with children because of the way they grow. The bone length grows very quickly and then the muscles and tendons try and catch up to support the joint. Is it a case that they weren't being exposed to that in the past? I'm throwing ideas out because I don't know. Just, sorry, just to jump in before you answer that, Jeff. I was... <laughs> I would think that society has an impact on that parental pressure, pushing people down a particular route before mm. they're ready or before they've, you know, kind of right. We'll, and something you said earlier, Jeff, which is, you know, people, you know, let's just send our kids to this, this sporting team, probably too young before they've actually develop the ability to socialize with others or communicate or <laughs> um, the, the ability to to understand what it's like to cooperate for example um, which they don't gain until you know kind of you get to two three four years old and even people coming into into school don't possess that quite yet if they're being funneled down that route and handed over to a coach of a of a, a soccer team who maybe doesn't quite know what they're doing, no disrespect to people who do know what they're doing at that particular level, and they're just running around a field. Is it not just inevitable that they're going to develop issues? Um, I, I, I'd say yes to both of you. Okay. So, <laughs> so you know, the... Um, Let's start with the kind of the cultural side that you're talking about, um, Sean. The um, jump back to play. One of the important things about playing with with your friends is you learn uh, cooperation and negotiation. So let's say you're going to play um, a game and you you know you don't have enough players to play the game. Well, you have to negotiate with your friends to decide you know, what the rules are and how big a court we're going to have and all these things. That's part of the game. That's, that's we're, but the kids are losing that now because that's not what they're doing. So they're so they aren't four year olds, four year old, and learning to cooperate. They're teenagers going. I don't understand why nobody's doing it my way. Hmm. Um, you know, and the parents, you know, we kind of call this the circle of doom. Coaches want to win. Kids want to play. Parents want to be want want um, to uh, have their kids be happy, and they want um, the, the success they think early specialization will give them. 
to a kid get into school, get into a board at school or get a, get a scholarship to a school. So it just kind of goes around and around. And there's pressure from the coach for kids, kids to play year-round, which kind of goes back to Paul's um, idea. You know, they're just, they're just playing soccer or football all year-round rather than just in a season and then going off and playing something else like it used to be 20 years ago. So um, all of these things are um, kind of coming together and causing the, uh, the problems that we're seeing. And that's not to say the kids shouldn't play sports. They should play sports. They should play a variety of sports. And we should understand that their, their bodies are developing. And there's a, there is a proper way to go about um, uh, working with them. And there's an improper way to go about working with them. John and I have talked about this before in some respects. Do you find, to, with your brand X, you've been doing this for 20 years and so you've had kids come through and they are now adults because you've given them a foundation and it's not a thing that they do because they want to compete in it but it's a foundation that they do and it's part of their everyday life have they continued doing exercise to allow them to explore the world in their adult life as opposed to the risk of a child just doing one thing getting to 18 and going to you know what I'm fed up with this I'm, I just, I'm going to sit on my backside instead uh, yeah, we can. I can. I can see that our kids are still are still active. The kids that I'm um, with uh, a couple of stories. You know, I had a, one young lady who swam in high school came to our gym. She was with us since she was five years old. Came through the came through the program. Left the um, left the gym. Uh, went to MIT in Boston, fairly high powered school. Walked onto their rowing team. Never rowed before. Made the made the varsity boat as a as a freshman, never having rowed before. Um, last summer, I got a call from her saying, uh, "I've decided to take a bike trip this summer. I'm going um, to ride 600 miles in a week." Okay, good. And she said, "Here's what my plan is to, to train." So she she sent me a training plan. I went, "That's good. Go do it." And she did it. And she ran her ran her um, in her 600 mile bike ride in a week. Um, they, they just seem to pick, are able to pick um, activities and challenges and continue on doing that. She, um, by the way, she's in the final stages of uh, um, being accepted as a, as a Rhodes Scholar. So, so um, that's, that's an aside to that. Um, our, I can talk about our youngest boy, which I think is a great example of this, but he, um, moving into high school, hadn't really played sports. But we lived in the country, he was active, you know, all the things that we wanted him to do, play outside, came to the gym. Decided he wanted to play rugby, because when you're the smallest kid in school, rugby's a great, great um, thing to do, big guys falling on you. He um, was a starting wingman within uh, two months, played for two or three years, and then um, decided he wanted to go out for track his senior year in high school. But went out for track, um, decided he wanted to pole vault, made the San Diego County Finals as a pole vaulter his first year. Went to um, a D1 school, a university, um, on his way to, to, to do something. And somebody said, why don't you try out for cheerleading? So he tried out for cheerleading, was the team captain for three years as a, as a cheerleader um, for, uh, for the school. Um, and now he's rock climbing. 
Yes. And that's kind of the prototype of what we're trying to trying to accomplish. And if you've yeah. got more time, I can give you more stories if you'd like. One story after the other, after the other. Yeah, last, last, week. last week's episode was two hours, 37 minutes. Okay. <laughs> that was our longest yet. Um, yeah, it, I suppose it goes to show the, the point you're making, which is it, it's about giving people that base to be able to do whatever they then want to go on to do. We actually started our, our primary principle in teaching kids anything. Was, we call it base build boost. And uh, in movement bases, how we break it down to the, to the smallest point to the smallest piece possible, have the kid master the small small pieces, put them together to create a to create a movement pattern, and then we can build on that. Um, but it but it is this idea that whatever we're doing with kids, we have to provide that base first. You're almost re- removing the no, I can't do that part of their vocabulary when it comes to a physical activity we want to take that out of their vocabulary entirely um yeah. in our in our coach training a professional called professional youth coach certification we have a, a big uh, piece on resilience so when when a kid like let's say we're talking about rope climbs the kid looks at the rope and says i can't do that we, as coaches we want to change that discussion in their head um to what do I need to do to, to work on that? Or I can't do that yet. Yeah. All of that is very different than I can't do that. Our point as a parent or as a coach is when we, we, we need to intercept um, those negative thoughts and change the language so that the um, uh, uh, child starts to, starts to hear that language in their head instead of the negative. I can't help but sit here and think there's a lot of adults that would really benefit from that application as well. Uh, do you get parents kind of going, oh, I really want to join in. I, I want to do this as well. That perhaps are a bit more sedentary or have done sports in the past and then life has got in the way and then are looking to get back into something. When we ran the gym, um, the, the, uh, it, was two, it was a two-way thing. So we made sure we had a, a kid's area so parents could come work out and the kids could watch them working out because I think it's, um, it's, it's critically important to the family kind of dynamics that the kids understand what the parents are doing. Um, so we'd see um, parents come in, they join the gym, the kids would be over here you know, watching, playing with other kids while, it, while, that, while the parents were working out. And eventually the kids say, hey, I want to um, do that class with the other kids. Um, but it also worked the other way. The kids would come in, do the class, and parents would sit, sit and watch the kids during the class and eventually go, oh, maybe I could do something. You know, and they would start to talk to us about what they could do. And it was a, you know, kind of a two-step process. Well, you could do this at home. You could do this at the gym. And see people, you kind of see it. Uh, like I said, it was a two-way, two-way street there. It's that visibility thing. And we, we have talked about it in a few episodes and I think we did touch on it in uh, the first episode that you said you listened to, which is making working out visible to not just your kids, but the, the rest of your family. It's like, this is what I do. This is why I'm never ill. This is why I can run up the stairs. This is why I can 
I can do some of the things that maybe other people struggle to do. And the idea of hiding that away by, you know, driving, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes across town to go to a gym and go in there for an hour or so and then drive 30 minutes back. They have no idea what goes on inside there. Your kids particularly, they don't, they, they haven't got a clue what that's all about. Yeah, I noticed that when you talked about that in your in your in the podcast tonight, and it resonates with with uh, Mickey and I because that's what we would do. We would pick the kids up from school, and then we would go to the gym, do some do a workout. The kids would watch, or the kids would join in. We we also made time to be active as a family. So um, for home, you know, my kids played soccer or they played football. I'd go outside for half an hour, kick the ball around with them, or throw the ball around with them. Um, we work on specific things they wanted to work on within the, you know within their sport, and I think those things are really um, important. And and um, but how we approach a parent and talk to them about doing that is is um, you know it's, it's critical. Like if if you're you don't want the parent thinking you're telling them they're doing something wrong. You know, you, you have to kind of guide them down this pathway where they're of, you know, I'm doing this now, it's okay. I can do this and that next, and it's better. I think we find that with nutrition a lot. I think the pet, the responsibility, and I suppose this gets down to the crux of where I think maybe the problem is, is the refusal to accept the responsibility as parents for the health of your children. And I'm not talking about the basic needs such as, you know, making sure they're fed, but not, it, it, it's the normalizing the activity, you know, to, <laughs> to go on the title of this. It's to make it not something that they just, that, that your kids just do when they're with the coach or the sports team or when they're doing um, physical activity, uh, PE, as we'd call it in the UK at school. It's embedding it into their lives, even just going for a walk, you know, doing the monkey bars at the gym. Yeah, it's the societal. Yeah. Is there a, a refusal of parents to even acknowledge that that's what they should be doing. Having done this a long time, it's, it's my, my brain. Um, I, I kind of go to outcomes. What do I want to have happen? And how do I, and how do I approach? What's the best approach to getting the outcome I want? I don't think um, getting up and walking around the block a couple times with your kids is a very high bar. And I don't think that that's, what we should be shooting for. And when, when I found in my gym was if I, whenever I up the bar, like, okay, every kid in my class is going to be able to do 10 strict pull-ups. You know, every kid would hit that, hit that high bar. So, but if a kid walks into the gym and I go like, you got to do 10, 10 pull-ups, that's, that's, I can't do that. No, you can't do that yet. <laughs> but but it, it doesn't it doesn't serve us. So I think what we have to do is, as coaches and people are concerned about this problem 
is acknowledge what you're saying, that it looks like that's what's going on. And then we got to give people steps forward. Look, getting up off the couch, if, if what you've been doing is coming home from work, sitting on the couch, your kids are sitting there playing their, their, their games and you're watching TV, um, then maybe come in the door, drop your briefcase, go, hey, kids, we're going around the block two times and go around the block two times and make that a habit. And then, hey, we're waking up today and we're going to do, you know, five push-ups a piece and five squats a piece before we get ready for, ready for school. And we just kind of give them stepping stones to move forward. What are the best ways to move forward? How can I give you small incremental steps that, are, that make it better than what you have done before and move you toward the goal of, of autonomy and, and um, the ability to, be, to, um, to step outside and, and experience whatever you want as far as um, activity. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. I suppose where I was trying to go is, is almost to the, not necessarily to the extremes, would go a step further to the people who are much harder to reach, to the families who have the, let's just say they have the, the overweight children at school. They are not, anywhere near the world or any within the reach of y- yourself or any anyone else who's speaking like this that their world does not come close to that and this probably is a big question how how do we <laughs> go down the path to reaching those people to essentially save the quality of life for those children as they get older big question it's a big, it's a big question. <laughs> it is a big question. Um, part of the, part of the discussion becomes acknowledging the problem. If you don't acknowledge the problem, then how can you fix the problem? So you, you outline the problem. Like the problem is they're overweight, they eat poorly, they they sit on the couch, they don't they don't move. All of these things um, that you're, you're talking about. And if you approach them and go like. You don't eat well. You sit on the couch. You're a bad example to your parents, to your kids. We're, we're not going to. We're not getting anywhere. Um, so, so we have to present the present the um, the problem in a way that they want to buy in. And one of the things that I always thought about is I want my kids to be I want my kids to be better than me. Mm. Well, I, and I think you can. I think. Every parent, when you know, down in the down in their gut, every parent's like, "Don't you want to have your kid to have more opportunities than you? And don't you want them to have more of these things?" And starting kind of in that place, and let's look at what we can do to build on those opportunities, um, and then what you can do as a parent to kind of help your kids move further along until they have these more more opportunities. Um, I remember maybe off off slightly, but. We lived in the country, like I said, and we would I would take my kids on hikes every you know, once a week or every other week. Right? Mickey and I would go hiking with the kids in the mountains. No, I wanted my kids to get outside, <laughs> be active, you know, learn to hike, and then learn to love being outside. And so we would do things like you know, pack a little lunch. It was this expectation of the family going on this hike and this expectation of us finding something new and then sitting down and having this lunch together and then doing something fun. What that what comes from that is this idea, I think what I'm doing with that is this idea that 
all of us want to find ways to connect with our kids. We want to find ways to help our kids be better athletes, better people than we are. And I think when we approach that and start to give people like, look, get up off the couch, walk around the club block a couple of times, pack a lunch, go and go you know, take a little trip to the country, um, do a 30 minute, 40 minute walk, have a picnic with your kids. Um, you start to give them ideas of how they can do something that's fairly minimal, but starting them down that path toward uh, achieving the goal. Yeah, I, I wish that were the case for all people. <laughs> I wish it was. You, it, it, for me, when you drop the kids off at school, pick them up, and you see some of the people, some, some of the fellow pupils, and the attitude of the parents towards how, how they how they obviously don't prioritize the health of their child. It, it really sort of saddens me. I think it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge though, isn't it? Because some of that, and you could argue there is no excuse for it with the internet and being able to find information. Some of it is ignorance. Some of it is misplaced um, kindness and trying to do nice things. And some of it, I think, comes down to the excuse of time a lot of what you've just said jeff is actually it's spending quality time parent to child with nothing else interfering it and actually when you're out going for a walk there's no tv there's no computer games there's no phone okay you might take out you might take a phone take some pictures but actually it's quality time and then often once they're out and they're doing it and they've got their eyes up then they start to explore and they go off and they'll go and climb those rocks or they'll pick up that stick and see how far they can throw it. And it perpetuates. And it's almost like giving them the breadcrumbs to go and do that. But it's separating that rush of modern life. You come in, you've rushed in from work, you've got to put tea on, you've got to get the kids to bed, you've got to do this, you've got to sort the bills out. I want five minutes to sit down and watch this special program and then off the bed. And they, they don't make time. Maybe that maybe I'm wrong, but I think sometimes that's a big part of it. I think you're I think you're correct. It is a big part of it. And that is just training people to think of time differently. Again, um, and then also acknowledging where people are. I mean, I can be judgmental and, and go, look, you're doing it all wrong. And I've tried that tactic, it doesn't work, by the way. No. Um, it doesn't. But uh, but but um one of the things over the, over the course of you know, all the time I spent teaching and all, working with adults is a lot of adults start with this um, feeling of helplessness. They walk in the gym and they say, I want to lose, I want to, I, the doctor says I need to lose 30 pounds. And they start working out and they haven't lost 30 pounds in the first you know, two weeks. And they just, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. Like, and they're thinking of exercise um, in, the wrong, um, in the wrong way. And they're thinking of, of lifestyle in the wrong way. So you know, 
and and it, it leads to this feeling of well this helplessness and then that helplessness leads down to the kids like i we're just an overweight family i just we can't i can't fix that and you know there's there is a problem with our society and with the way we speak and we we call the word diet and diet are kind of two separate things diet I want to lose weight. I'm going to follow this diet. And with their diet, this is how you eat. Um, teaching people to eat right and looking at, well, I'm 30 pounds overweight. Um, I'm going to go be 18 months. If I eat right, I can, I can lose that in 18 months or whatever. And I have that goal and I can kind of see that process. And I work out so I can move better and do all of the things that you guys talked about earlier on, chase my kids, lift things and, but they, think, they, they tend to think, if I work out really hard and I follow this diet for two weeks, I should, I should you know, be losing the weight. And that, that just doesn't work. And there's helplessness. And that helplessness leads down to, well, my kid's you know, 20 pounds overweight. And I just can't do anything about it. Yeah. I think a lot of people also forget that often it's taken them 10 years to get to 30 pounds overweight. And it's going to take potentially just as long to get back to where they need to be. They want that quick fix. Right. We used to do um, nutrition talks with our kids in the, in the gym. And the um, it was amazing how many parents would show up for those classes and just sit in on, on classes. They had no idea. And and um, following this idea, uh, that base build boost idea, was you know, this idea when you're working with the three to eight-year-olds, you got to teach them just a couple things. You know, we, we call it um, all-time food and sometime food. So, like an apple is an all-time food. You know, if a kid comes to you and says, "I want, to, I want," um, we're talking to the parents now. If the kid comes to you and says, "I want a snack," have you had any all-time food recently? No. Okay, here's an apple. Here's an orange. Here's this. Oh, you've had good food, and you want another snack. And here's your sometimes food. Um, and then the kids can get that, and then you move into the boost or the build section, you can start to talk about macronutrients, what's a protein, what's a carbohydrate. And when you're eight to 10 years old, they can start to understand that. And when you get to boost, which is the teen years, we use the teen years, we, we talk about performance and how nutrition would help you perform better at whatever you're doing and, and kind of build on that. Um, and parents would go like, oh, I'm eating way too many sometimes foods. Yeah. I love that analogy, the sometimes and all the times food. That's really easy to, to grasp. You do, a lot of, you do a lot of reframing, don't you, of words and, and viewpoints? Well, I usually start with, what do I understand? And then I, that's, where, <laughs> that's, the, that's the base part. Yeah. Um, but it, it, we, when you're dealing with kids, you can't just... Um, use adult language or have adult goals. So if you want a, a kid to learn to hinge at the hip and not bend at the SI joint, you can't just go, look, we're going to pick something up off the ground. I need you to hinge here and do this. You've got to figure out ways to get them to do what you want to do, understand that they can um, begin to duplicate. And, and all of that is really reframing um, first reframing your goals and then reframing your your language to meet those goals 
the the idea of not being able to just say right you need to you need to stand feet shoulder width apart and like what's that you know they have they have no oh, concept yeah, yeah exactly and i've worked for the last year with my 10 year old who like i said has been interested in exploring um some crossfit style workouts um mainly body weight stuff with him but just getting them to so taking a, a nine kilo wall ball um and using that as a kind of what i would i do my stuff mainly with sort of heavy sandbags so taking that nine kilo wall ball as a sandbag to sort of lift to shoulder or even do squats with just getting him to understand where his feet are placed in order for the knees to be correctly aligned, in order for him to not be too wide, too, his feet aren't too splayed. And he <laughs> probably in the last few weeks has actually grasped the fact that he's, he's making the movements he's doing much harder because he's not paying attention to where his feet are. Mm-hmm. And he has a proclivity to having his feet very wide and very open with toes pointing away from each other. You just, you, you can't do a squat like that. No. You can't do it. It's and he's finally, very, very, very hard. it's taken a year, but he's got there. So he's been watching his dad. We, we break our movement down into what we call tiers. So tier zero is movement skills. So if we're going to be doing in the hinge movement, tier zero would be where do your feet go? Yeah. Feet flat, flat on the ground, feet, feet, um, feet flat, we call them, uh, feet in the sand. Then, then there's um, how do you hinge and not bend at the SI joint? What we call waiting in the outfield. If you've ever seen American baseball and the outfielders are out there, they have their hands on their knees and their hips are way back and their shins are straight up and down. Yeah. Um, think of somebody kind of tired from, from, uh, from running or something, just kind of resting there. Um, and then we teach them how to, how to, how to begin um, neutralizing their spine, call it strong tree. But we want those, that's tier zero. We need those three things before you can lift something up off the ground. Yeah. And then if you start to do a CrossFit gym, um, you're no longer associated with CrossFit. Uh, but if you start into a, into a CrossFit mm-hmm. gym, they teach the deadlift and they use conventional deadlift. Well, I'm not teaching kids to be weightlifters. I'm teaching kids to pick stuff up off the ground. So we teach every kid learns the sumo deadlift, and that's what they train. If we're going to compete, I will look at your anthropometry and go, you'd be better off as a, as a conventional deadlifter, and we'll work on that six weeks out from, from the competition. But when we're training, we're teaching sumo deadlift, which is straddling the medicine ball, hinging at the hip, coming down, grabbing it, and standing up. That's... Yeah. My son came out to the garage one morning. I've got some 24 kilogram kettlebells. And next thing I know, he's picked it up just like that. Well, legs slightly wide, straight back, arms down, like a sumo deadlift. It's like, oh, okay, be careful. <laughs> as long as these toes are out the way, though, Paul. <laughs> nobody, if you look at the real world, nobody lifts something in a conventional deadlift stance. So, like, you know, you just. You, you can't you can't do that there's nothing that's you know this big around that we shove our shins up against and and can can lift that way so everything you know you want to pick up a rock at the garden 
you want to pick up a sandbag, you want to pick up a ball on, on, the, on the court, it's always straddle and yeah. hinge and, and pick it up. And one of the things I believe, you know, is that anatomically we're built to lift that way. And it's much easier to get kids to standardize the movement that way once you once you taught them. Yeah. Paul, Paul might roll his eyes at this, um, but I'm going to mention a book that I've been <laughs> banging on about for a while, which is a book called Exercised by Daniel Lieberman. Um, I think, I don't know if you've uh, come across this, Jeff. It was 2017, I think it was published. I think he's a um, professor at Harvard. Harvard. Is he Harvard? Um, basically, he talks about the history of exercise. And the fact that exercise is a relatively modern thing. And it was only created as a way of making up for the fact that we're not as active as we used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, He talks about the way in which people used to move and the reasons why they used to move that way, which was to survive. It was to hunt. It was to be able to jump over rocks, to move things out of the way, to be able to pick things up that were in your way, to be able to get to the next place you needed to get to in order to get some food so your family didn't die. And one of the interesting points in that is evolution works much slower than society has developed. So we're still at the same point relatively as we were 30,000 years ago in terms of our physical needs and capabilities. But society no longer allows us to do that. So we have to make up for that with exercise that he says should mimic the things that we used to do. Running. He also also says we are inherently lazy lazy and sedentary (laughs) and only did those things because we had to and the body is built to rest when it's not in a state of needing to hunt or what have you so actually the fact that we are a sedentary people is due to our um, biology and and development yeah exactly Um, you you know that that uh, argument that 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 proposition yeah. um, makes total sense to me. to me. That's the same argument with the same proposition that people use, like with the paleo diet and some of these other things. It's like, look, our, our bodies can't change this fast, and we have these needs. And, and we talk about that discussion. We've uh, been talking about that for years. But look, this is you know, if you were, um, you know, I grew up on a ranch. So I drug hay bales around things. <laughs> Nobody said to me, hey, you're going to stunt your growth because you're, you're lifting the hay bales. Um, you, you didn't need a whole lot of exercise. I didn't need to do pull-ups. I didn't need to do these things. So we did this as part of the daily life. But our bodies, you know, what we know is our bodies move, our bodies that are more fit, that move better, um, perform better. So in other words, they, um, what I mean by that is they, they, um, they have better markers when you, when you test their blood. The kids who are more fit tend to score better on, on standardized tests 
than other kids. Um, so that is all um, anecdotal, but it also, in my opinion, anecdotally supports this idea that look, this is what we what we were designed to do, and um, if we do that, then we we, we perform better. Well, yeah, yeah, the the industrial revolution has a lot to ask <laughs> answer for right. in that respect. And, and part of that is like let's 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 be let's be honest. Like the 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 original exercises were things like let's do calisthenics, let's do things like like sprint and run and, and lift things. Um, I I I went to uh, elementary school in the sixties, the nineteen sixties. So um, come forward into the, the, the late 70s, and there was kind of the advent of the Nautilus machines and, uh, and these things. I actually moved from being what I would consider functionally fit. We did, you know, I was worked on the ranch. I did um, bar movements when I started lifting weights, moved to the Nautilus stuff and went to start going to the gym. And what I found was I got bigger and I got weaker. Mm. It was kind of an interesting, it was kind of an interesting, uh, Evolution, and then I kind of moved away from that in the '90s and got smaller and stronger. <laughs> yeah, that's it's such an interesting thing. So I had a um, <laughs> a conversation yesterday with Paul, not, not Paul, Paul Warrior, who does both mine and Paul's programming. You know, kind of that's yeah. sort of a, a link that we share. Yeah. Um, Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was at times, though. Yeah, X, but not at all. Yeah, which is very good. I'm very good friends with Jordan. Oh, right, my friend. Yeah, yeah. friends with Jordan. He actually came and stayed with us for uh, a couple times for a couple months when he was when he was a young man. Yeah, he's he's yeah, he's still young compared to us guys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I was at Tyneside for a while, and actually, kind of Jordan's from the town that I'm from kind of in South Northumberland and the North of England. Um, but yeah, Jordan's a good guy. Um, and when I sort of embarked on the journey of programming with, with, with Paul Warrior was I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was just like, I just want to be fit and healthy, like whatever that means. But actually, as I've, as I've gone on, that ability to be light but strong the ability to move the ability to just move well like to to move through the world well in a comfortable way is where i feel i'm at now like to to be able to get over an obstacle the ability to just get out of the way of something really quickly. If something's coming coming towards you that you don't want to be hit by, you know, like a fist or, you know, I don't think I've ever had an actual fight in my life. I'm a, you know, kind of, I've always done well to avoid that sort of thing. But that sort of thing, if something's falling from the sky and you've got the ability to jump, you know, kind of almost animal-like, like a cat away from it, that's, that's a pretty pretty good goal to have to be able to do those things and do them in a way that isn't going to rupture your ankle or (laughs) make your knee explode because you can't take the impact and that's what you just touched on there that's where i am 
as a 42-year-old in my life to be able to do those things comfortably without, without thinking about them. I think the, um, you know, your programming has to, or your programming should accomplish or, or support your goals. And your goals should be reasonable. So I'm a couple of decades older than you. And so my, my goals are, 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 are quite a bit different than they were a decade ago. Yeah. Really, I, I'm um, reasonably, uh, they align very much with what you're, what you're talking about. And that's um, important to, for me to sustain strength and to be able to chase my grandkids around and do those things. That's, that's, I don't have any, any desire to, uh, to compete at the, you know, the CrossFit Games anymore or, uh, or get into the ring and box with somebody again. That's, but I do have this idea that I'd like to stay strong and I'd like my heart to be healthy and I'd like to be able to run down the street after my, my, my grandkids and play with them for as long as they want to play, which can be a long time. Yeah. Um, I think our, our, for us at the Brand X Method, understanding that we have a goal for the program and what that goal is, and is kind of, it frames what we're doing. Um, I'm constantly shocked by uh, talking to youth coaches who can't, frame the goal of the program. So if you can't frame the goal of the program, then how do you know if you're moving toward achieving that, that goal? Um, there was, uh, you know, if you're talking about um, CrossFit, the goal of the CrossFit program is increased work capacity across broad time and mobile domains. At least that's as far as I understand standard. Um, with when you get to be my age, you know, increasing work capacity is probably not something that you're going to accomplish. Hey, how about we keep our work capacity at the same same pace? On the other side of that, when you're talking to a, to a um, you know a mom comes into your gym, and she's got a 12 year old with with her, and you define your kids program as increasing work capacity. Well, I can literally take that 12 year old, put him in the corner, and feed him licorice and coke for a year. He'll come back at 13 bigger and stronger. So defining my work capacity by something that biology is going to take care of, defining my um, the goal of my program by something that 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 biology is going to accomplish, seems to be a, a poor way to go about um, uh, defining my defining my, the, the goal of my program or defining myself as a coach. You said something really important, I think, and really interesting about the young lady that came to you who ended up rowing and then going on the on the bike ride you mentioned the word autonomy she'd obviously gone through your program she had learned about nutrition learned about good movements and mechanics learned about programming by doing the programming and was then able to actually go okay well i can transfer these skills to this oh i want to do the 600 bike ride. well this is what i'm thinking in terms of my training and actually you had provided her with those skills moving forwards which then gives her life skills for the next 60 years into her twilight years. I think that's a pretty good accomplishment for a program. When we started 
the program it was uh, really started working with fitness and children. Uh, it was 2003, 2004. And one of the things we noticed and we're talking about was that um, kids would play, let's say they played um, football in high school and they left that. They stopped playing. They didn't make it to, the, to college and they were utterly adrift when it came to what do I do to keep moving? They could go play soccer pickup games on the weekends, but they didn't have any idea of what to do to, um, to, to move. And the only um, challenge or the only uh, way they saw to move was involved with soccer or football. Yeah. Um, so the idea was let's, let's not have that happen to kids. Let's, have, let's give them the opportunity to move and do whatever they want. Charge, uh, but they can go out, they can play soccer, they can play football, they can step into the sport. But let's make sure that they understand when they're done with that, they have um, access to this knowledge of, of how to go about helping themselves do this for the rest of life and whatever they want to. We see a lot of girls at school doing PE, often, and I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing, but I think the research shows. They tend to do it at school, but as soon as school finishes, that is the, that's often the end of their physical expression, shall we say. How do you find the bias in your classes? If you've got a pretty good sort of gender equality in terms of 50-50, and, and do they take you on? And, and how might you approach that? My classes were generally made up of about 85% of the class made up of kids who were disenfranchised from sport or weren't in sport anymore. So I only had about 15% that came in as athletes and they were, it, it varied, but it was, um, 50, 50. Yeah. So it come, you know, sometimes I'd have 40% girls, 60% guys. Other times it'd be flipped. I'd have more, yeah. more girls than guys. My last, um, kind of my last class to come through before we shut our gym down and moved. I had uh, 19 kids qualify for, U.S. powerlifting um, national championships, and uh, I think fourteen of them were girls. Nice, that's really good. I, I could we had a we had a lady on, and we were talking about the challenges for men and women, but especially women going into a gym environment and feeling. Threatens them not, is not the right word. Perhaps judged or very self conscious of their appearance or understanding of what they're going to do. Do you, I think kids tend to be a bit more liberal and a bit freer of those fears, but I do think they still have some of those uh, barriers when they come into it. Do you, have you found that? And how do you kind of overcome it? I think it's gotten better over the years. I, I, I do. I think that there's been a, um, one of the things that um, I think can thank functional fitness for is um, the idea of being athletically, athletically attuned to your body, being a strong, capable um, person is um, not gender specific anymore. Yeah. But I can tell you that, you know, 2010 timeframe, um, I would have 12 year old girls saying, I don't want to lift weights because I don't want to get big. That, that, that was problematic. Um, and they would, exit the program. Um, I can tell you that by two or three years later, that was absolutely not the case. 
you still find that it's people's perception that lifting weights makes you big and I don't want to be big. Because if just simply lifting weights made you big, everyone would be massive. <laughs> I usually say I've spent my whole life trying to be big. And look at me. That's... <laughs> um, but the, we find that more, you find that more in adults now than you do in the, in the youngsters. You really do. We just don't we just don't see it the way we used to. But, you know, a decade ago, that was something that was kind of just a common theme through. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I want to I want I want to come here and I want to work out, but I don't want to lift the weights because I don't want to get big. Um, even in my adult in, my, in our adult program, though, we became very known for lifting weights. And if I if I said uh, we're gonna have a month of a reset, we're not gonna lift weights. I, the biggest complaints I would get out of the adult population were from the from the women, like, you know, why we want to keep lifting? But that was, um, you know, the, uh, again, I think um, we're seeing a, a cultural shift there, and not so much importance on on placed on what they look like, but more on what we can do. Yeah. I think that's a healthier point to. Uh, healthier way for, for people to look at themselves. And I think in our gyms and our schools that we work with, that if we can foster that, that's a, a way healthier way to move, move forward than to be uh, focused on the gym as a way for me to accomplish, you know, a skinny body or something like a certain body type. Yeah, it's, a, it's that, it's strength, not size. And, and going back to what you're saying about using the Nautilus machines, you got bigger but got weaker, as opposed to that that farm strength where you're wiry but can still shift uh, and work all day long, you know, 13, 14, 15 hours a day of the same continuous hard labor. Yeah. It's true. But that's, you know, culturally, I think that we've made, it, made a shift, and I, I hope we keep moving down that, that, um, that path. That's that's a good good shift in the culture. We've talked about some poor ones. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think in with culture, there's there's always everyone always focuses on the bad, the bad things within society and culture, and oh, we're going down this route. But actually, we're sitting here having this conversation about what is possible and what people could be doing. So there's there's people out there. There's where where society we're humans <laughs> we live on the earth <laughs> in towns and cities and there's other people out there and there's it's it's not all bad no it's not all bad and I, it, as we but as we focus on the kids that's what we we do when we see kids being able to take away what they learn in the gym step outside of the gym and they don't need us anymore they, they only contact us because they want to contact. They want, they want to say, hey, I want to tell you what I'm doing. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful, that's a wonderful feeling. I, I would even say it's vital. It, it goes past wonderful. I think it's vital because if you're not doing what you're doing, then other people around the world aren't doing the same things. And we're all doomed. But because of... Well, it is. If if it, you know, if, if you weren't doing what you're doing, we would be doomed. And if other people well, weren't doing it, I hope that's not the case. I hope that um, that we have a shift 
Um, I, you know, if, if we're going to take something positive out of the last year and a half, it is a shift toward um, what we're finding is a shift toward uh, parents really understanding the need for their children to be more healthy. Yeah, and I hope so. Look at Brand, Brandix Training Centers. We're getting calls from our, our training centers that uh, they're having wait lists. They need more. They need more gym space. They need more trainers. They need more time um, because they're just being you know, kids. Kids are coming in, and they need parents are going. They, we can't. Um, we can't uh, keep moving forward in this manner. That's a good shift. I mean, maybe the only good thing I can see that coming out of the last year and a half. Yeah, and certainly I think that will continue moving forwards because I think the shadow of COVID is not going anywhere quickly. Um, and I think people have been complaining, oh, why isn't there a focus on the public health aspects of, of promoting healthy diet and everything? And I think that will start to come in because I think we've probably gone through the firefighting phase and now they can start to look at, okay, now's an opportunity to to focus on these bits moving forward, I hope. We um, had a uh, talk with an organization in the Netherlands who um, was telling us that their government had passed, it was five or six months ago, passed a, I think it's called the Healthy Generation by um, 2040. And they're setting aside public money to help help schools and gyms and you know, reach out to kids and help them move toward a healthier uh, healthier life and healthier lifestyle. You know, that's kind of going to have to be the shift. Mm. My argument has always been prevention is better than cure. Right. So if you can get people on board living a healthy lifestyle with good food and good nutrition, it lowers the risk of metabolic disease moving forwards. So they're not having to try and uh, catch the horse after it's bolted from the stable. I was going to mention that, Paul, actually. The, <laughs> the WhatsApp message, message I sent you earlier today about the sort of... Yes. <laughs> I don't know if the it smokers, went... The Was it slightly controversial <laughs> in terms of my view? <laughs> um, it's it's the idea of the smokers outside the hospital door so people who are in hospital for treatment who come out to have a cigarette I don't know if that's a thing in America but it's uh, in the UK it's a thing it's what, what are you doing like, <laughs> it, it defies logic it defies logic it does it really does yeah and it's trying to get people to understand that actually aerobic associated smoking with cancer, lung cancer, actually that's not the biggest risk. Okay, it's the it's the headline risk perhaps, but it's it's the emphysema, it's the damage it does to your kidneys, to your cardiovascular system that causes all the problems. And they then become lifelong chronic problems that limit your ability to live and to do. Yeah. All of those things are important. We can, with kids, short circuit that. Mm. Like, um, if you're an athlete, if you're somebody that 
sees your body as an athletic and you want to be active all your life, you don't smoke because it's going to affect that. that. Um, my wife and I talk about like things like overeating or like cigarettes smoking. You know, if you were sat in a restaurant and you watch somebody uh, overeat and they stood up from the table and they suddenly swelled up and blew up like in Willy Wonka, you know, just <laughs> all over the big mess all over the wall. Um, there'd be a whole lot less people overeating. Yeah. They, you know, if somebody just was smoking a cigarette down the street, all of a sudden they just shriveled up and, you know, something happened to them, that would stop people from smoking. The problem with all of these things is that it's long-term. Yeah. And when people get into the, um, the brain isn't fully, fully formed and to make uh, critical decisions until 25 to 27 years old. So these people get into these habits when they're young. And then when they're not able to make a critical decision, and now they've got a habit. Um, so if we can, if we can shortchange that or, or short circuit that decision early, we can avoid all of that stuff later on. So it comes back to outcomes, doesn't it? What do you want as your outcome? Right. What's going to feed into that outcome and what's going to detract from it? I never, I never talk to the kids about, you know, my, I, I work with teen, teenagers. I never talk to them about you know, overeating is going to cause you to, um, to get fat. I would talk, look, we use fuel as food as, food as fuel. This is how we approach um, whatever we're doing outside of that. And that, I'm not talking about fear. I'm talking about making good choices now about how I'm going to approach um, whatever activity I want to do. Same thing with smoking. It's not about you can get lung cancer, you can get heart disease, you can get all these things. It's, look, you smoke, you're going to cut down your your lung capacity. You're not going to be able to do the things you wanted to do. It's, 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 what are your outcomes? What are your goals? My goals are to be able to do these things, coach. Okay. Here's the, here's how you move forward toward those goals. I've got, I suppose I've got two questions. Often, <laughs> often my questions are all bundled into one paragraph, which, <laughs> <laughs> which I acknowledge, but that's just the way my brain goes. So I'll, I'll often speak and there'll be three or four questions bundled into a paragraph. You mentioned schools uh, and that you work with schools. Um, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK, particularly at primary school, again, I mentioned uh, I've got a seven-year-old, 10-year-old, I think Paul, is Toby 10? Is he 10? Toby's 10, yes, yeah, so he's in primary. Yeah, yeah, six. Yeah, yeah, six, so. Yeah. Um, how do you feel schools are doing for wow. kids? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. There's Pandora's box is being opened up here, wow. isn't it? Wow. The most hated man in the US and UK pretty soon. Um, you know what though? Because obviously I posed that question because I have a view. And actually I'm I'm a, a, a governor at a primary school as well. So I'm kind of on the inside of schools as well. So I'm kind of... So yeah, hopefully nobody take, listens to that question. The, um, I'll take the... Uh, physical education side from, because that is where we come from. Um, and I'll talk about the U S cause that's what I know. Yeah. 
in the in the, in the U.S. Um, physical education being taken out of um, elementary schools, so primary no schools. Yeah, wow. um, they're they're mandating um, they mandate a certain number of activity hours, so like two hours a week. But you have your primary teacher, and she comes out and she says, "Run around the run around the run around the track." Um, you get to middle school and high school. So middle school would be uh, like 11, 12, 13 here. And high school would be, you know, 13, 14 to 17. Yeah. Um, middle school and high school, PE is generally things we call roll out the ball. So we're going to play basketball. This is the basketball block. Here's the, here's the ball. We're rolling out the ball. Here's how we play basketball. Um, playing softball or playing soccer or playing rugby. Um, those teach a, teach a game but they don't teach physical education and if you don't have the ability if, if a child doesn't have what we provide which is move well move safely um how can they play soccer well they, until they become disenfranchised by the system of, of, of this um that's really problematic because it disenfranchises and makes kids um, not interested and motivated to, to be part of uh, physical activity. When I grew up again in, in, the, in, the, in the 60s, we had a PE teacher who came in. We learned um, gymnastics. I learned to vault. I learned to, to um, work on the floor. I, we had, he brought in a trampoline. We had trampolines. We, you know, there was a lot of, this is how you move your body, which provided me a base to move forward in my life and be really active adults. Um, that's lost. We're trying to come back in with the Brand X method into schools, into, into primary schools and into, into high schools, and provide that uh, systematic training of how kids learn to be you know, kinesthetically aware of their bodies and move, move their bodies so that then they can take part in sport you know, in, a, in a fundamental way. It's very um, dy dystopian and disturbing for somebody from our with our um, kind of our narrow view of what's going on in the world, but is, to talk to teachers about this. Is it not giving young kids the ability to move well and the ability to understand the bodies so that they can do well in later life at the more specific sports that they might go into? That is what we want to do. But they're not doing that. They, no. <laughs> um, you know, and, and then secondarily, when you get to like high school and, and middle school, when you talk to the PE teachers, physical education teachers, they are they're treated as second tier teachers within the school. Um, they are, hey, we have a math teacher who goes to go sit in that school or the math teacher out goes to go sit in a class. And you don't need to teach the class anything. You just sit there and monitor what they're doing. Um, if money is coming into the school, money isn't um, vested to the, the PE teachers, it's vested to the academics. Um, and yet we all understand that, that fit kids, kids who move well, kids who are active, do better at academics. So we're yeah. kind of cutting our, you know, if, if all we want to do is increase our, our academic scores, um. we're we are hurting the one thing that we know actually helps them by removing this from them. But you're trying to take a whole shift 
in the approach of education there, aren't you? And, and a lot of people resist it because although the evidence is there to suggest that if the more active people they are, the higher success rate, because it doesn't fit with traditional educational values, it gets poo-pooed. And, and right. maybe Sean has a different, because uh, um, Sean comes from a bit of an ex- educational background. Do you, do you see that as well? Is that they're, they're so fixated on what they've been doing? From, it's probably it's probably one of those where for me it's quite hard to talk about the education system in the same way to you for you it's quite hard to talk about yeah sorry <laughs> NHS, talk about health system here yeah I do I do wish I'm I'm trying to be diplomatic here I do wish that the people who so within within schools in the UK, it's it's very much government led and Department of Education. There's a there's a particular curriculum that needs to be followed that comes from central government and gets filtered down. And it, it, it's like oh, the kids must do this number of hours of physical activity per week, which is generally just no, it doesn't really matter what they do as long as they've had timetabled an hour of PE on this day and another like two hours of PE a week, for example, that's, that's probably the general rule. And it doesn't matter what they do in that session, as long as it's something that they've done. And that's, that's at primary, at primary school, which is where my level of expertise is. But what they do is, is more play, which is, it's, it's, it's not that it's a negative. It's just that it's not. It doesn't have the. It doesn't have a focus, and it doesn't have a direction of what they're trying to do with it. They're just being active, which is great. I'm not knocking the activity. It's what the activity is as they grow through the school system into the world in which they will then start playing hockey or rugby or football or the other sports. Activity is good. Yeah. We want to encourage that. And we don't want to ever say, look, you're not active, you're active, you're active and something's wrong with that. But, but um, it's difficult, I think, to switch gears and do, like, we're going to teach movement. We're going to teach kids how to squat we're going to teach kids how to pick something up off the ground we're going to teach kids how to do a forward roll we're going to teach kids all of these things it's 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 difficult and because it's difficult it kind of gets swept aside oops yeah poltergeist Um, yeah so the um you know you can you can um what was I going to say? You know, you can you can roll a ball out, tell people that, that what the what the rules of basketball are, and and go okay, three, two, one, go, and now you're playing basketball. Mm. Um, it's more difficult to figure out how to get the kids to um, you know, to learn how to move well. So we, uh, Mickey and I, taught um, a volunteer to teach PE in a primary school for about a year and a half, and the teacher had come out the first day. Should come out like a big field. We um, it is a fairly warm day in, in Ramona, 
So we're out there, we're standing with black top, it's, we're sweating, and the teachers come out. They've got three classes, 70 kids. They walk the kids out and they walk away. And we're thinking, oh no, I've never really worked with 70 kids at one time. And it's my <laughs> wife and I, and it was complete chaos. And the, the next day they came, we had cones and things marked out for where the, where the kids were going to start, where they're going to move to and all this. Um, but one of the things we, we found was kind of a, a dearth of physical liter- literacy, this inability of these kids to, to do them, um, just things that were simple. So um, we'd have them like say, okay, you start, you're going to line up, and you're going to start behind these cones. You're going to lunge to the next cone. And you know, probably about three to five lunges each leg to get the cone. We found that 90% of the kids couldn't get up off the ground with one leg. Did they? It was extraordinary. Did they so understand the term lunge? Well, yeah, we demonstrate every movement. Yeah. I want you, okay. and really, I want you to step forward. I want you to do this. And I want you to, you know, and, and then we'd have a coach standing there. And as they started, you know, you're, you're, there's kids who understand it and there's kids who don't understand it. But you, know, you literally see kids falling over, collapsing. Um, uh, and you know, by the end of the year, we had beautiful, beautiful kids moving, you know, moving really, really well and everything. But it's it's a struggle because yeah. kids aren't coming into school anymore with the ability to do things that you would think were normal. Maybe that's the thing as well, isn't it? That, that's shifted. What is normal has shifted. What, or what is being accepted now is different. So there's an acceptance that people can't do that. Whereas when, you know, I'm, if we go back, what am I now? I'm 43, so if we go back, 30, 33, 35 years ago, it would be expected that I could do a forward roll, a backwards roll, uh, and those bits and pieces, and it would be odd if I couldn't do it. Right. And now it's the odd person who can do it. Yeah. And it's, Paul, you know, can, you I, still, can you still do them? Yeah, I can still do them. <laughs> I have to. Uh, my son gets me to do it, so we do it. He, he really likes the idea of parkour, so we do forward rolls, backward rolls. Part of this, part of the idea of getting kids to move young and move, move this way is the idea that um, they not just become kinesthetically aware, but they visually learn from each other. So, yes. So, um, as an example, if I have a group of kids that I've been training for, for several years, they all squat really well. I have a new kid come in. I look like a wonderful coach because that new kid looks at all the other kids and goes, this is how I'm supposed to do it. And they do it, do it that way. Um, if I worked with that kid all by himself, it, it's a longer process to get him to, to, to move well. But one of the things that we saw, what we saw with kids and what we see with kids is if they learn to move well early and they're visually aware of, of things, they can look at a, at a skill that is outside of their range and begin to approximate that skill and challenge themselves to do it um, simply by watching what their, what their mates are doing. Yeah. It's pretty interesting to see. A bit like the pianist, pianist that can can play by listening to something else as opposed to having the sheet music there in front of them. Just because, yeah, they've got that visual awareness, they can just pick it up and move much more freely. Sorry, Paul, I'm just laughing at the cat's tail getting tangled in your um, in your wires. <laughs> you see, my dog has been jumping up here to see what you guys are doing. 
<laughs> yeah, it's good. I've just seen the tail just like trying to like knock your, your earphones out. She comes out in the morning in the garage where I work out and just has a sheer look of disdain whilst I'm trying to perform some sort of physical effort and just like, is that it? Whereas my son's a bit more, son's a bit more encouraging and joins in. Isn't it funny though, because talking to uh, Toby Seeger last week, so Jeff, we talked to Toby Seeger, who's quite a well-known parkour athlete um, in the UK. And we talked about movement and the way in which humans move in a very similar way to animals, such as monkeys and cats, the way in which they jump and the limbs move. For example, if, if a monkey jumps, they jump with their arms and legs in front of them over a gap because it's the most efficient way to move. I think move, being able to understand the, the most efficient way to move and the most efficient way to you know, get from A to B or not, not necessarily to, to a, from a sport point of view because <laughs> it's funny, one of the things we did talk about is the most efficient way to do a long jump isn't actually just to jump. It's actually to do a front flip. So the front flip world record is that, did he say the front flip world record? Is it longer than the actual long jump world record? Yes. Is yeah, it? yeah. It's longer than long yeah. jump. And uh, someone did it in competition <laughs> and then they banned it saying it wouldn't be safe before it, whereas they tried to do that with a frisbee flop because so many people picked it up so quickly they couldn't stop it. Yeah. Why, yeah. why I'm having a hard time with, with a sport banning something because it wouldn't be safe? Is in that part we got guys running at each other and slamming into each other's bodies and throwing each other on the ground. Like it's not safe. It's part of yeah. the sport. Exactly. The sport, the sport of jumping, the sport of long jump is jumping from here to there and how far can you get? How far can you get? Well, let's do the most efficient way. Exactly. Yeah. So in swimming, freestyle is technically the it's it, whatever the uh, distances so 50 meters 100 meter freestyle freestyle means doing whatever stroke you feel is fastest the front crawl is the fastest swimming stroke so everybody does that but actually there was a point in the past where not everyone did freestyle because some people were faster at butterfly or backstroke than others were at the front crawl like and it wasn't that long ago that that was the case and that's, that's mad, and, yeah, and it's 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 mad that, that that's it's about exploring the way that we move, and we exploring the way that we, well, the best way of doing something, which we've talked about today, which may be different for you, yeah, and Paul and me. I mean, each, each one of us might have a, have a different way of, of um, moving over an object or moving over an obstacle um, that's more efficient for each of us. Absolutely. And I guess that ties nicely back into that exploration and play that the kids do with their movements is actually you say, okay, I want you to get that ball as far as you can. And you let them find out and you let it let them work out. And as soon as one's probably picked it up, everybody else picks it up because they've watched it and seen it and they copied it. But they'll all be that, a little different. They'll all be a little different because yeah. they're all trying to maximize their own 
produced it. We, we call it um, presenting movement problems, and we want the kids to provide it with a solution. Yeah. We have a cargo net. Let's see who can get up the cargo net. You know, and each one's going to go a little differently. But the goal is to go from the ground to the top, not accomplish whatever Coach Jeff said. Do it in the way Coach Jeff said. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of a lot of copying in the world about being the same as someone. It's a rigid mindset, isn't it? Oh, yeah. That's how it's always been done, so it must be done. Whereas with children, often they don't come with those barriers. They have a much more um, open mind or imagination to do things. And it's only until we start imposing this is how it has to be done that it starts to close off. So the fact that you give them that freedom to explore, to safely fail and then learn from that and then move forwards they must gain so much confidence from it, not just the physical capacity, but heart and head as well. That is part when I talked a little bit for the back, we talked about the resilience module. Yeah. And part of it is this idea of um, we don't want a safe environment. We don't want an environment where everybody achieves every single time they step onto the field. We want this idea of failing forward. We want this idea of seeing failure as a, what did I learn from that? How do I step forward and move, move myself forward? Um, that's how we, we create resilient um, kids, as well as um, kids who who have all kinds of other character traits. You know, how do I um, character traits of um, goal setting, you know, and um, um, being able to um, set a goal and work toward it, that delayed gratification, all of those things come out of that kind of that, that mindset. Jeff, do you think, <laughs> I, t- I talked about this with my wife yesterday, there should be kids' gyms everywhere, like dedicated gyms for kids everywhere. Yes, I do. There should be. They should be, have a big Brandex Method training center across, <laughs> the, top of, across, <laughs> across the top of them. Yes. Um, one of our... <laughs> One of our goals when we started this was to not be U.S. centric, and was to be very, um, you know, worldwide. And uh, we have a couple of we have about sixty to seventy training centers in the world right now, but um, three that we call labs. Labs are where we, um, oh, hey, we've, re- we've seen this research. Try these things in the, in the lab, and let's see how they work. And then if they work really well, we'll roll them out to the the rest of the training centers, the rest of our program. Um, one of the uh, training centers is in Brisbane, and the other one, one of the training centers is in um, Bray, which is outside of Dublin. Mm-hmm. And um, if you go on their Instagrams, you can just see just massive amount of kids that they're working with. And I think I we can get into school, if we get into schools and we can get enough gyms to understand that if you properly run a kid's program, it can be profitable for the gym as well as profitable for the kids coming in, um, that uh, you know, we, can, we can affect more kids. That's, that's really our goal is how many kids can we, can we begin talking to about physical literacy, begin helping them move forward in, in, uh, 
in their journey to be able to be independent and, and capable of being active from the select. Because we know from like, like kids, they bout the peer pressure. If if someone's done something that's really good, they'll tell their friends about it. They say, "Oh, I went to this. I went to this place. It was really good. I did, you know, I did. I don't. Know, I did this." Climbed a car net. I threw balls around. Yeah, I did a pull up. I did. I did something. Yeah, it was fun. It was yeah. great. And actually, I felt really good about it. And people are looking for stuff for their kids to do at the weekends, particularly uh, to get rid of them. <laughs> um, that's why um, I don't know what they call in the UK, like soft play in the U- in the UK. It's what would they be oh, it's called? It's like bounce houses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like so bounce house, like a ninja yeah. warrior arena for yeah. kids. Yeah. So they just, like, you go there, you pay, I don't know, like sort of 10, 10 pounds, you know, 15, 20 dollars or whatever it might be um, in the US and your kids go and do something active for an hour, which is really good. But it's, it's unsupervised, it's unguided. If you had something that was the same amount of money that kids went to to be supervised and guided through movement. I do it, and I have done it. I've, I've done it with CrossFit Times. I did CrossFit Kids. Um, I did that for a few years um, with, with my two, and it was great. Was Ben teaching it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he just went through our, he went through our training. Uh, yeah. I think it was last year. Actually, he went through the training early on. We went and actually did a seminar physical seminar time sign, I think 2017. And then um, Ben came back and took our advanced courses. Recently, yeah, that's recently. cool. Um, you know, they, we kind of have to build from activity to essential to, to have an ongoing um, program. So if I want to teach a kid to, I want to teach a 10 year old to lift something up off the ground safely, I have to have time to do that. And, and then when that kid gets to be his, you know, in high school time frame, now we can lift weights really, and we can make a kid who's really strong and sets national records, things like that. But um, what we want to provide is kind of a twofold thing. With our training centers, we have this activity that the kids love to do, and they get excited about doing it. We want though to for the parents to buy into it, that this is something they want to keep their kid in long-term, that it's essential to the kid's um, uh, full development and the ability to be active and healthy for the rest of their life. So in our in our courses, we have handouts and um, infographics that the trainers can then begin that education process with the parent because the parent is the actual client. The client <laughs> isn't the child. Yeah. We, we do what's best for kids and we serve, we serve kids. The client is the parent. And so we want the client to come to, you know, come to, to, the, to the, you know, their original um, class with their kids. They want the kid to be active and they have the kid going through this activity and the kid loves it and leaves. But we want the parent to start to understand why this is different than just coming to the bounce house. Yeah. Why and why... You know, if they, if they, um, and so we have this process for talking to, um, talking to parents, educating parents, setting up meetings with the parents to, uh, to have short little uh, education discussions. The parents are the clients because 
they're the ones paying. Yeah. And they and want a return. Where, <laughs> and that is, and yes, and that is where many youth gyms have missed the boat. They make the, the thing fun for the kids, but the parents just see it as an activity. It's an activity. That's something that's bounce house, but we can skip it this weekend. Yeah. We can yeah. go do some another activity. If it's essential, like I want, you know, I want my kid to um, be better at rugby. I want my kid to be better at this. And, and we're explaining why what we're doing is going to prepare them to be better. That um, then that becomes um, moves from that activity to essential. But that process has to be: why is my program different? What am I trying to accomplish? What are my goals? Now we can measure my goals. Let's let's so we have like a an assessment period thing that we can show that this is what your kid was able to do when he came in. Here's what he's able to do now. And, and that might not actually be visible without actually looking, because it might just be, as I talked about earlier, the way they plant their feet when they're doing right. so the So our, our assessments are all about that. Yeah. So we have an assessment, assessment tool that we can use where, where it's, Look, this is what when your kid did a squat. This is what he. This is this is what happened within squat, and I can show you how he progressed over the course of the, of the six months that he's been here. Yeah, and also this is why it's going to benefit benefit your child moving forward in not not just in sport but just in life. Right, and that ties back into the whole discussion you had about parents. Like you, every parent wants their child to be better than. Than they were. Every child wants them to have. Every parent wants their child to have a better life than they had, and more opportunities than they had. That's what we provide. Yeah. Very much so. That's, that's probably that's probably a good place to finish. Is it? Is that actually we want kids to have a better, better outcomes in life than we did, and actually if we do that early and do it right. We set, them up for, we set them up for success. And that's success, not just in the short term, but success for an entire lifespan. Yeah. And if every generation does that, then the human race is going to be pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's some pretty <laughs> badass people out there. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, where can people find you? Uh, our website is thebrandnextmethod.com. We have our Instagram, which is at thebrandnextmethod. And then you can um, I answer all my emails, believe it or not. Jeff, J-E-F-F, at thebrandnextmethod.com. Happy to, happy to talk about kids training. I'm a one-trick pony, so I, this is what I know about. I won't talk about politics or something. I have no idea what, about any of that. But <laughs> about kids, youth, and kids training. All day long. I think that's fantastic. The funny thing is, though, that politics, the, the, what's going on in the world, everyone's got an opinion of. Maybe more people should have an opinion about the health of their children. Well, I think, you know, your podcast is certainly helping raise awareness of that. We're, we're trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 